This is the CineSnob Podcast. Welcome to episode 190 of the CineSnob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And I'm Jocelyn Durand. That is 10 away from 200. Wow. Um, which, um, you know, the math is way off there. <laughs> it should have been, like, had we, had we done this weekly when we started, we'd be at, like, uh, probably, what, 100, 200, 350 by now, something like that? Somewhere around there. Yeah, it's wow. been six years, so. Yeah. So to yeah. hit almost uh, 200 episodes in six years, you know. Hey, you know, that came with uh, months and months of breaks sometimes where we were <laughs> like, oh, yeah, we still, we never did a show. We haven't done a show in months. It, so. it's, it seems weird now that we've done it every week for, like, this entire year that we went months without doing it at some point. Like, that's very weird to me now. Yeah, I know. And I think it helps. It, well, obviously, like, having a third party that's interested now, like Jocelyn. Yeah. Not a third party, but a third person, I should say. Um, I'm know. I'm w- happy for for breaks. I mean, if y'all want to take a couple months off, I'm hell? not the one that's like, hey. This oh, is yeah. not why we brought you on. We brought you <laughs> yeah. on to hold us accountable. <laughs> okay, okay. Not to well, once you had the ba- once, you, yeah. I mean, I I can understand once you had uh, had your baby, you were like, oh. <laughs> Because at, at the other point, you were just, I just want to sit and watch movies while this child grows. Inside yeah, me. and it was in quarantine, remember, that I was like, hey, Jared. Yeah, so I know. I, I didn't have a lot going on. By the way, it, we are still in quarantine. That's true. <laughs> but I mean, like, yet. when I was, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you may have, I, I know that you've been on parlor getting yeah. information, but. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've been hitting up called, all the clubs. Is it called parlor or is it parlay? Oh, I thought it was called parlay. I thought it's pronounced parlay. I've only ever heard. I well, maybe I've only ever read it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. Because I, I, I thought it was uh, supposed to be like um, you know. Uh, I think uh, parlay, like in. Uh, uh, That's not how it's spelled, though, right? No, I know, but it's it's a French word, isn't it? That's like on um, how I met your mother. When, or uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is what I was. <laughs> well, he pronounces chameleon, 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 and he's a professor and everything because he's only ever read it, so he thinks it's called chameleon. And oh, that, all his students was, are like, "That's a chameleon." <laughs> that was a Simpsons joke, like ten years before that. Yeah, oh. it, is, it is parlay, the yeah. French verb meaning to speak. Uh-oh. Oh, French. Well, that's okay because I just learned that Emily in Paris is supposed to be pronounced Emily in Paris. It's which supposed makes to rhyme. A yeah. hell em- of a lot more sense. Emily in Paris. Emily in Paris. And I was calling it Emily in Paris this whole <laughs> Maybe damn time. Maybe accordion music playing. <laughs> is it? I, I heard uh, the French people are oh, aren't are very like happy. rioting about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that true? Uh huh. Yeah, they hate it. Why? There was a lot of um, stories and a lot of debate about it. I'm, it's very, very uh, stereotypical, but a lot of I, th- I, I really think that they hit on a lot of things that I have noticed, like differences in the cultures too. But they don't do a good job of uh, like they make it a joke, you know. Well, that's isn't that the point? Isn't yeah, it a comedy? But, they, like, but, <laughs> but it's all it's, it's weird. A, it's like it exaggerates to make it funny. Right. Yes. But to a point where it's so dumb, you know, like it's a, it's a guilty pleasure for sure. 
Like you can't watch <laughs> it and not and like take it seriously. It's super, super over the top and ridiculous. So have you watched the entire thing? I did. <laughs> I and did. What, and was your husband angry with you for watching it? No, it was but it actually taught me some words, which is so sad. <laughs> and <laughs> now learned, you know I, I learned and now more you French know, from Emily and Paris than like anything else. And now you know parlay as no. well <laughs> is a is a social media network platform that <laughs> Cody, but, you could take, you know, some cues from Emily and Paris. Maybe you need to watch it. Oh. 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 What a tease. When so, you get, that, so that you learn how to say parlay. When you're in, when you're uh, on parlay, I, I wonder how many people actually call it parlay. Oh, like no, zero, zero. <laughs> Wrong audience to be using a French word. That is so true. Um, I'm not gonna say any names, but someone I think we all three are aware of mm-hmm. uh, posted on social media that they had joined parlay, and I looked at their account, and uh, one of the things I noticed was so it's basically Twitter, right? It's basically like format wise, it's Twitter. And um, instead of retweeting, it'll say so and so echoed. So uh, retweets are called echoes. So it's it's literally like playing into the echo chamber yeah. uh, <laughs> mindset of it all. <laughs> like, okay, now I'm on board. This is like a is this a grift? I don't understand what's happening here. I mean, they they were in the news this week because they got hacked, and and I oh, did and they. I, they got not only did they get hacked, but apparently they require you to give your social security number when you sign up. No, for, no, for yeah, for like for ultra verification or something. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and, and I that's think, an immediate no for me. And I think they had like like really weak security, and I think like they just no. kind of like <laughs> no. I, I think it was pretty easily hacked from what I read, especially for like an audience or a, a you know. A, sect of people that are worried about being tracked and all of that conspiracy theory stuff. Don't you think that that is a little, you know, look, well, man, see, look. that's crazy <laughs> that they are putting in the, that they're okay with putting their social security numbers. Into- if you think that these people have the awareness to put two and two together, I oh, think you're I see, giving I them see. too much credit. Well, look, I don't want to paint everyone with a broad brush here as uh, being dumb, but you know, the, there are a. Um, I didn't say dumb. I just meant more. You know, conscious of like and well, more. Co- Cody, Cody was it. Cody oh, okay. was implying it. I mean, <laughs> you know, you you do tr- entrust a lot of information to social media networks. Um, you know, and even the big ones like Facebook don't treat it correctly. So, th- thinking that some startup is going to as well is is kind of a fool's errand, as well. Um, but you know, I mean, it's. Uh, that's why I think, like, is it a grift? Because it seems like it's a perfect grift, you know. I'm, like, I'm sure it is. I mean, I, I mean, I know they all are in a sense to get your <laughs> to get your information, but um, and uh, you're probably watching this on some sort of social media right now. So hi, um, <laughs> yeah. but it's all some sort of way to get information, and um, this one just seems to be kind of uh, opportunistic. I should say. Speaking of of weird social media stuff, I watched the um, the Mike Tyson fight last night, which is a weird sentence to say in 2020. Uh, Mike Tyson, um, uh, what's the guy's name? Roy Jones Jr. Roy Jones Jr. Uh, who won? Did Tyson win? It was a draw, which Tyson won easily. I don't, you know, boxing's a rigged sport, and you know okay. it's garbage. But uh, Tyson was very much the winner. It also featured. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, 
former NBA star Nate Robinson getting his lights knocked out by Jake Paul. By Jake Paul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I saw that one. But it was it was on the it was on a plat it was a pay per view run by a platform called Triller, which is apparently <laughs> like a music social media network that that they say has 100 million monthly users where you're like, no, there's no possible way that's the truth. Oh, Unless yeah, Triller. I have it on my phone now. Of course you do. <laughs> but so, was Snoop Dogg involved somehow? Oh, uh, that's the best part, is, okay. that, uh, is that Lil Wayne was supposed to perform and then backed out at the last second, so they called up Snoop Dogg to perform, and then they ended up letting Snoop Dogg do commentary that's on what the I, boxing. That's what I saw. And it was I, I, fucking hilarious. I follow him on, on Instagram, and I was like, what the fuck is Snoop talking about? And yeah. then like my like, Instagram makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. Dude, it, like uh, the first thing he said when Tyson and Roy Jones Jr started like hitting each other was it was he was he said it was like his uncles fighting at a barbecue. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. It was great. Uh, I think I, I I recall him and there's a uh, uh a brief clip of it from late last year where he calls part of a Spurs Lakers game uh and he shared that on social media too. Yeah, like he, in his living room or no? He was like TV. in the arena. Yeah, he was in the huh. arena. I mean, he's a huge Lakers fan and like a huge LeBron fan, and he's just openly cheering for LeBron while while yeah. doing the commentary. Um, it's really it's it's he he's honestly really funny. I don't think I yeah. don't even know if he's trying to be or if he's just like talking. Because, well, I mean, just, he's a he's a funny guy. Yeah. Like he's he's never been. Uh, I mean, it's so crazy uh, and. Jocelyn, you are a little closer in age to me than Cody, but just to remember, like, the danger that came with with people uh, in the scene, like Snoop Dogg in the '90s, where it was like, like shit, he was indicted for murder and all this yeah. other crap. And now you're like, what? Like, he's calling boxing matches, and, and he's friends with Martha. Yeah, I mean, that's even old news. It's I like know. just like he's just a a, a character now. Um, yeah, I remember when back then when it was like murder rap and it was like, you, you know, you had to like hide it from your parents that you were listening to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we were we were very much into the, the murder rap. In, uh, <laughs> in no, I no, I mean, it, it was all over MTV. I mean, that was and that was when you actually watched MTV. So um, yeah, whatever you were listening to Weird Al. I was also. Um <laughs> But yeah, that that's he had beef with Coolio over uh, Amish Paradise. <laughs> oh God, and that's yeah, that, true. That's that your first big rap beef true. that you were. Yeah, that's <laughs> the one. I was like, in. like shit. How weird Al doesn't get shot in the street. <laughs> <laughs> now Coolio barely has enough hair to do like two pigtails in his head instead of those. Um. Anyway, anything else? How was your Thanksgiving, everyone? Oh yeah, it's Thanksgiving. Where it's the weekend it after small. Thanksgiving. We did uh, the Zoom calls. I saw slash... that. That was cute. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. All we, the different ones. What's funny is um, my wife's family is, um, they have a thing called Garza time. Okay. Which means one of them is going to be late doing whatever. I see. And it's usually a trade-off between my wife and her dad. And this time it was her dad. So, like, her dad and her sister... And her brother and uh, her sister's boyfriend and then his family were all at his house. And uh, we were supposed to start at noon. And uh, we get on the call and her sister's like, 
oh, dad didn't put the turkey until 11. Like, oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> so we're sitting there for like an hour, just wait. We, we, we turned the Zoom like volume down and just sat there and watched a movie. No, we watched uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. No, Charlie, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Charlie Brown mm-hmm. Christmas. And then uh, it was like, all right, finally, it's time to eat. So we were still affected by people being late on a friggin' call that we could schedule <laughs> with our uh, Cracker Barrel Thanksgiving meal. So it was pretty good. Nice. Anyway, yeah. And then we watched, uh, we ended up watching Soul, which I guess we'll talk about in like a month. So yeah, we got a ways to go to, to hit that one. But Both um, of you watched that. We did, yeah. Well, screener was going to expire pretty soon, so. Thanks for sharing, guys. Uh, you'll have to talk in to the, Disney. In, yeah, we had in the to. the spirit of Thanksgiving. Wait, I thought we I gave. To, we, we had to agree to, to do an interview to get it. Oh, yes, I can that's agree right. to do an baseball. interview. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a San Antonio guy in, in the mix somehow, so. Yeah, oh, a right. guy from San Antonio is a screenwriter on the movie, so. Yeah. Ah. His name is Cody Viafania. Congratulations, yeah. Cody. Yeah. Thanks. I, I didn't want to tell you guys, but uh, <laughs> I've been I've been writing Pixar scripts for a few years now, and they finally picked one up. <laughs> he got like la- yeah. <laughs> Cody got lassitered so many times. <laughs> Put up with a lot. You know, uh, uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation used to basically accept fan fiction. I don't know if you knew that. Hmm. They used to like people would solicit ideas to them and they would produce an episode sometimes. It, it seems like that's what the Simpson is, Simpsons is now with like celebrities just like submitting their Simpsons scripts, like Pete Holmes doing a two episode arc last year or whatever. And yeah. Seth Rogen wrote an episode. Seth Rogen did. Judd Apatow did one that like he had done years ago and they dug up. Uh, Ricky Gervais did one. That's right. Oh, I need to uh, see that one. That one was actually pretty funny. Um, I would imagine. But I mean, that was... Look there, I'm as I'm as big a Simpsons fan as you'll find, but it's it's so tired. It's weird to like, it's turned into like people that grew up as fans writing it, mm-hmm. and it's just not as. It's just it, there's something missing now, but you know, and, and it's weird to have a, uh, like any sort of continuity. Like you mentioned, the Pete Holmes episode had like a, it was a two episode arc, which is weird. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's anyway. not even an arc. I don't think two can be, you know, can constitute an arc. Well, I mean, it's that, like that's, that's just up and down. But well, what Noah I say- had two of each animal, and it was an arc. <laughs> but what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, <laughs> what I'm saying is, <laughs> that was so dumb. <laughs> oh, man, but my my good. my point is that The Simpsons doesn't do that. My point is The Simpsons like resets itself every every episode. That was like a kindergarten joke. <laughs> Sorry. I'm gonna sing the song. Yes, that it. <laughs> God said to Noah, there's gonna be a flunny flunny. Anyway. That sounds like the my buddy voice. <laughs> it's like right back there. behind you, I know. There he is. He returned. Yeah, he hasn't he, moved. He or maybe he did that. and just went back to rest right there. Who knows? <laughs> um, anything else before we move on? This is kind of uh, drifting into conspiracies about dolls. and. No, no? I think we've covered everything. Oh, good. Great. As usual. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we have Hillbilly Elegy. You got to take care of business. You got to go to school. You got to get good grades to even have a chance. Mom was the best in her class. What's the point? The point is you don't know shit. I'm talking about a chance. 
You might not make it, but you sure as hell won't if you don't try. Why do you even care what I do? I ain't gonna live forever. Who's gonna take care of this family when I'm gone? Well, I thought your mama was gonna be all right. Be happy, do good. But she got tore up around here. She just up and quit. She just stopped trying. I know. I could have done better. But you, you got to decide. You want to be somebody or not? This is an adaptation of a nonfiction book uh, from director Ron Howard. I believe it premiered in theaters a couple weeks ago and is now uh, on Netflix. Cody, tell us about Hillbilly Elegy and what you thought of it. And uh, please be in mi- keep in mind this is my family you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I'm about to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I- I'm glad that you chose that clip and not the good or bad Terminator uh, clip. Oh, I, I almost, I don't think I would have that one available, but that was a very yeah. terrible Or clip. neutral. Or neutral, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes, good or bad or neutral. Um, yeah, so so this, like you said, was based on a memoir that came out um, uh, a few years back. And essentially what it's about is it's about a guy who is a Harvard, uh, excuse me, a Yale uh, law student. And he basically escaped um, Ohio and Kentucky uh, and, um, and is called back to uh, his hometown when his mother um, ODs on heroin and um and tries to take care of her and you know i think the the um the idea behind the movie is that it's supposed to be this like sprawling epic right it's it takes place over um a a wide span of years flashing back to when he was a kid showing his upbringing and then showing him at current day um and you know we talk a lot um at this time of year about uh the term oscar bait uh, you know, the, the, the stuff that you see that sort of like is like parodied in like Tropic Thunder tr- fake trailers <laughs> and, um, and, and, you know, like the stuff where, you know, they're clearly trying to win awards shamelessly, you know, in previous years, like extremely loud and incredibly close. Oh um, God, that would be so bad. We was one of the worst offenders of it that I've ever seen. Um, and then you have stuff like, like radio, if you've ever seen radio is a really bad Oscar bait a movie. Was it Oscar bait? Really? Oh Yeah. I don't yeah. remember it being that sort of. Um, I mean, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s whole performance inspired the joke in in Tropic Thunder. You know, tr- no, I thought that was uh, I Am Sam. That oh no, that joke. I thought it was I radio. Always th- I always thought it was I Am Sam too. But. Yeah. but I Am Sam, he won an Oscar for. So like, anyway, anyway, not- um, but anyway, uh, so the uh, the idea here being that this is a movie that's meant to be a platform for big. Uh, fireworky, showy performances. And I think the only one who really succeeds in giving a performance that's okay is Glenn Close. Um, I still don't think she's all that great in it. She's basically just doing the grumpy grandma stuff that we've seen. Like, you know, Allison Janney did a similar thing in I, Tanya a thousand times better, right? Where you just have this hard, hard-nosed, gr- like, mad granny. Grumpy um, grandmas. Yeah. <laughs> I think that should be a movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> sure. What? 
That's a great. That's a great pitch. Listen, two words. Listen, grumpy grandma. Grumpy grandma. We are. Here's your check. <laughs> anyway, here's a million dollars. Yeah. So so it, so it, you know a lot of it takes place um, in previous years when this kid when the kid is at the age that you see and and God bless him that kid is not a good actor. And <laughs> I don't know his name. I don't want to say his name because I don't want to shame him um, because I'm sure he's chasing a dream. But uh, <laughs> look, <laughs> oh, like it's like no one's going to be able to find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, he's he's just not very good. And the the story is like this this series of beats where it just it like everything explodes in some sort of way. Like there's a scene. <laughs> there's there's this thing I, I clocked where in the span of like three minutes, this kid falls down and breaks something twice. Uh, I don't know why I clocked that, but it was just ridiculous. He's so clumsy. Uh, but uh, but you know oh, the, yes. the the scenes of abuse here. You know, it's it's clearly showing some stuff of cycles of abuse, and it's so over dramatic. I know it's a memoir, and that these things might have and probably did happen. But uh, in the context of the movie, it's just too much. Um, it's it's kind of poorly written too. I think you know that the screenplay is is really really generic. Like it was you know created in the Oscar factory again, where they're trying to like pull on the heartstrings but give you something um, to really take away from it. Um, and then two more things. One is that it 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 sort of hinges on this relationship between uh, uh, son and mom, and. The, the the inherent problem with the film is that for every good thing that the mother does, and by the way, there's only like what two or three like moments of like actual motherhood that that resonate. If that, I don't even remember anything positive. From, That's what I said. From I the said character. I w- yeah. would argue there's none. <laughs> which is Amy, Amy Adams. We should Amy say. Adams, which will be number two. But um, oh, okay. Uh, but so the for every one. Uh, good thing the mother does that you sh- you see why he loves his mother is is ten to fifteen horrific things that any reasonable person once they left would have just been like bye and never spoken to these people again. Um, even even when you factor in the fact that this is family, the stuff that happens in here is just sort of like irredeemably bad. Um, and so it's really hard to see the other side of this story where he cares about his mom because they really dig into how awful she is. Which brings me to Amy Adams, um, who is the, the lead actress in the movie. And I think that it's the worst thing in the worst performance i've ever seen from amy adams i just think it's a bad casting choice i don't think that she's able to take on the role very well she's like you know it's like the no makeup frizzy hair look that she's got and um and i just think it's a bad performance i mean i wish i mean amy adams is usually great all of the time and it just it just feels like acting and i think that's the like you you see you know the the wheels turning in all of her performance, it's not effortless like it usually is, and um, it's like sort of like this will be a Razzie-nominated performance, I think. Hmm. Jocelyn, what about you? Yeah, there's not a whole lot to like in this movie. Um, I I would be hard pressed to say even one thing that I enjoyed. It's not enjoyable. It's really uh, it's like taxing on your psyche. <laughs> Um, because there are just like these really dramatic, uh, you know, episodes of abuse that 
that you're witnessing. And, um, and then I guess there's supposed to be like Cody said, maybe some redeemable moments with the mother, but there, there, I would argue aren't any. Um, so then it's just like horribleness after horribleness. And then, you know, the son, um, I, I think it's more about, you know, that, that scene with Glenn Close telling him that he has to be the one that holds them together. So that's basically, I think, the the reason that he's continuing to um, try and help or come back, you know, uh, and try to, I guess, keep this family together. Um, but, you know, he's not, he doesn't really have his shit together either. And he's at <laughs> Yale Law School and everything, but he's like, everything is kind of falling apart in his life too, which I think is maybe a little bit of the point, but there's no like, you know, like solution to this at the end. Um, you know, I think he's, he's trying for this new job and maybe that's like the, the, the silver lining almost is that he, you know, is, is going to eventually be better. But then if that's the case, then this entire movie is just the suck. It's just the sucky part. (laughs) If that makes sense. So there's that. Um, and, and to tie all that up, it's really, it's almost like a glorified Lifetime movie that I felt like I was watching with Oscar winning actors in these ridiculous performances that are just like overreaching beyond like an inch of their life. Um, and then at the end, there's this like grand romantic gesture. By that point, it was hysterical to me because it's like, what the hell is this? Like, what is this? Poor, it's just, poor, it's poor, poor Frida Pinto, by the way, has we were, nothing to do. We we're talking about that. Before. She's literally just kind of like a, a a piece in this, you know, movie, like to be used as like the token, you know, sort of well, minority she, girlfriend. She, and she's there to get like screamed at. Yes. And like, yeah. <laughs> um, look, so this movie is not good. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and I think, and I, you know, this is based on a memoir and I, again, I don't know what is necessarily kind of derived from real life and what is sort of fictionalized, but at the, at the expense, I think of any kind of through line, this movie really muddy, muddies it up by jumping around in the timeline too, mm-hmm. um, because you don't quite understand what we're seeing and when we're seeing it. Like, for example, there's a scene where, so, so Amy Adams character is addicted to heroin, right? And you see that kind of, kind of, um, she's a nurse and branch out into opiates, which is a huge problem in rural communities, you know, across the nation and, you know, even not so rural, but there, the way they explain, like her being bad at her job is that she ends up roller skating around the mm-hmm. hospital and it's fucking ridiculous. ridiculous like it's it's fucking stupid as shit and like she gets fired for it like no she would have gotten fired for stealing drugs yeah and um look, i think that was supposed to show the like light-hearted girl that's deep down there, you know, that was like supposed to endear her to us. And instead it's just ridiculous. Like you said, it also has this, like this, this theme attached to it of like, you can, you can take the guy out of the, the 
country, but you can't take the country out of the guy or whatever. Where where like it where like the beginning of it is so stupid with like like you know he's at a dinner and doesn't know what fork to use and like he's oh, melting God. down over just, it. Like just <laughs> fuck that shit right in its ass because that stuff that is such bullshit shorthand yeah. for yeah. fancy crap. Yeah, and it's so it's so goddamn lame. Yeah, it's so, so stupid. So overused and cliche, and there's yeah. just no nuance to it. It's like he's an idiot, and he's at well, like he's at these hill folk. Like, exactly. man, like well, first, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, there's also a scene where he like snaps and has a, a an anger thing, which is completely out of character for everything we know about that guy at that point. And so you're like, what is he like? Why is this a wrinkle to the character now? Where is this coming from? Well, uh, okay. So the gist of the the story is like his mother is is addicted to heroin, and as he's escaped, so to speak, to Yale, he has to go back and care for her um, because his sister called him back. It doesn't ever really kind of make that a conflict that's worth the time it takes, because you know the the like she's not dying, she's not. Um, you know, she's actually kind of combative to him about helping. Um, and it, it, you know, I don't know that it, I don't really know what the point of it is. You know, I mean, I know it's, I know it's based on a memoir, but the movie doesn't really make a point. Like it's called Hillbilly Elegy. uh, And uh, ostensibly that means it's lamenting the dead, right? For an elegy. I'm not, am I the only one that knows that? Okay. No. Um, okay. Just making sure. No, um, we know Jared. We don't. We, we, oh, we, excuse me. So, like, but Jesus. like, we're, we're not. We're not. Jared. We're not. We're not cast members of this movie. We know what words mean. <laughs> so yeah, but I, it seems to be like, like as though that were a dying culture, is what the title implies to me, and it's not really. Um, and then you see uh, the like when they have the funeral for his grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, People stop and salute, and uh, Glenn Close's grandma character says, uh, "Well, that's because we're hill people." Like, is it like we honor the dead or whatever? We I honor mean, our dead. Like, it's a small town funeral. Like, I don't really see it as that surprising. Like, it's just there's just a bunch of shit in there that like is like fake deep. Yeah, I I don't I I don't want to steal Jocelyn's a point that Jocelyn made to me, but what? But like, there's that one scene Please. where where he says that that they're hillbilly uh, hillbilly oh, royalty right. at the dinner and then they say and then someone he, next yeah. to him says calls him a redneck and he's like we don't it, use that word <laughs> oh yeah and then like that. the hatfields and the mccoys and all yeah. that shit it's, i mean it's, it's so generic and stupid it really is well i think it look i think the i think the big thesis statement here is that you know there this almost feels like one of those forgotten people sort of tropes that that get played out in like election years they're like oh there's this the middle of the country is this you know this society that that you know doesn't have time for city folk and i don't know it doesn't even make no, that case compelling i totally agree because like they they like had these glimmers of that where they would show people like around their neighborhood um specifically like the neighbors fighting and then like right. other people like hanging out on their stoops and stuff and i was like ooh more of that like if we can have like a glimpse into this like world that they're living in where it's not just this family that's you know really screwed up and and they didn't do that there was just like n- n- they didn't connect the dots there at all 
And yeah, that would have really helped. It I mean, it's nice. just it's just a mess all around. It really is. What's well, your grade, Cody? Yeah, well, this is the kind of movie that every year this type of movie just annoys the hell out of me because it's so clear what they're trying to accomplish. And, and, and you know, it's, it's you know, taking shortcuts to try to get emotional catharsis it never works. And so um, it, it's just a bad example of it and, you know, really, you know, misguided performances in my opinion. So I give it a C minus. Jocelyn. I know. I, I agree. I feel so bad for Ron Howard. I just don't know what happened, if he's okay, if we need to check on him, because he's usually <laughs> he, he's, pretty solid. No, he's not. He's, I mean, he's, he's usually completely, good at this. He's completely hit or miss. I don't he's, know. I just feel like he's good at doing the type of movie that this movie is trying to be. Like, well, I mean, you know, was, Oscar frankly, sees he, it like... Frankly, he was part of a much better look at. I mean, he was on the Andy Griffith show. If you've never watched the Andy Griffith show, it's a, it's an amazing look, you know, as a comedy. But at this sort of small town that takes no bullshit from city folk, you know. I just mean like it's almost like he has it down to an art now, just like turning out these like Oscar movies where it's like, uh, you know, big stars. But the, but the like, thing about it is, strings, like, is, it's like this plus that equals, you know gold and he's usually great at that and i think I you're know. giving him a little bit too much credit because i think that he actually like russell crowe plus this plus that you know it equals oh, this. okay I, people Tom don't hanks plus this equals that you know but what that's I mean? the thing is that is that he's you, you know you talk about his you know putting t- things together for oscars that that's what the oscar Beatty stuff is He's either on the he's on the line of that so many times where he's made several Oscar Beatty movies that are clearly trying to accomplish what you're saying that yeah. don't work. And it, it is seen for what it is, which is like okay. like shit. I mean, like there was a movie that he was putting out like in the heart of the sea, which I never saw, supposed to be an Oscar movie, got bad buzz and they moved it to January. Like yeah. it's, I mean that like, he's always fighting for that and it's sort of it depends what on what side the, it falls on. What was the nonsense movie we watched that reenacted the last scene of um, A Beautiful Mind? Recently? Oh, uh, that was the Michelle Oh, the Gondry. Charlie Kaufman. Or the, yeah. yeah, the Charlie Kaufman, sorry. Um, yeah. What was the name of that movie? I'm thinking I of many things. Uh, oh, yes, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it, that I had to look up to like figure out what the fuck was uh-huh. happening. Yeah. You know, he, uh, one other note, too. I think, Jared, when you're talking about the forgotten people and sort of like the the class stuff, I think what you're probably talking about is stuff like the Florida Project, right? That that sort of highlights. Yeah, know. I mean, that that is, um, you know, not looking to be sympathetic, I don't think, except Even to the like children. Even like the Green movies, you know, they do this great job of like showing this part of America that people don't often see. And you mean like uh, Your Highness? No, <laughs> not that one. But I think I I think y'all are more optimistic than me because in my head I'm just like oh Ron Howard movie you know great actor you know Oscar bait like crap movie in my opinion but like the masses will love it. And you just talked about how happens. successful he is. What are you talking about? That's what I mean. I I think that that's usually I, the case, and I, so I don't know what happened here. Usually he's very good at making these like you know. Uh, shallow kind of deep movies if that makes sense like it doesn't like a shallow version of like like a movie that people will be like oh wow this is so like heartfelt and it made me cry and it's like listen i'm gonna give you his last like 10 movies here all right and you tell me so he did solo 
He did right. Inferno. The that's a that's a Dan Brown. Yeah, Tom in Hanks. the heart in the heart of the sea. Rush, which was a lot of people liked. I didn't right. care for Rush. Uh, the Dilemma, Vince Vaughn and Kevin James, Angels and Demons, Frost Nixon, which was good. The Da Vinci Code, which sucks, and Cinderella Man. And then that's like his last. Like, <laughs> this 10. is fun. I want Cody to just go down directors' filmographies and just say well, which ones are good and which ones are. Well, bad. no, I, I, like Jared said, it's the definition of hit or miss. Like it, it truly is for him. He and has so, a he has one of the weirdest resumes. It's in very strange Hollywood directors because he has. I mean, Apollo thirteen is hands down a great movie, uh, with great performances. Um, but his next movie after that. Uh, well, his next movie after that was Ransom, which was a thriller, which was fun. But then two years later, he made, or three, four years later, he made How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which is one of the very worst things I've ever seen. He also <laughs> made Ed TV in between that. Oh, yeah. I never saw Ed TV, but um, he, anyway. doesn't, he doesn't have as long of a director um, uh, resume as I. Uh... This is the longest me giving my grade. Oh, yeah. What is your grade? <laughs> That's funny. I, I totally. You know, took it back to talking about the movie. Uh, C minus. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a C minus too. This is just uh, this movie sucks. So <laughs> anyway, we talked enough about this. Let's move on to our next movie, Happiest Season. I just woke up thinking about going home with you and got very excited about Christmas. I get to go meet the people that made my favorite person. I'll always take December away over summer. Abby, you and Harper have a perfect relationship. She is my person, and I really want everyone to know that. I don't want to marry her. What are you doing on your phone? I left a gentleman alone in my apartment, so I'm tracking him to make sure he leaves. You're tracking him? Yeah, I track everybody. If the NSA can do it, so can I. I'm so excited. I can't believe I'm finally going to meet everyone. There's something that we should talk about. I didn't tell my parents. I'm gay. So who do they think I am? This is Harper's orphan friend, Abby. Yes, of course. They're there. You're so brave. You don't need to be. I cannot believe I've got all my daughters under one roof. So her parents believe their straight daughter brought home her lesbian friend for Christmas? Not exactly. They also think that I'm straight. Have they ever met a lesbian? This is why I avoid Christmas. It brings out the worst in everything. I've always skated circles around you. <laughs> I love it when they do this. You're such a cheater! Makes it so fun. No, Riley! Just be yourself. But don't lie. You're a very bad liar. Riley! Harper. This is Abby. Abby is my orphan roommate. We, I am an orphan, but we live together as friends. Um, like acquaintances. Oh, please stop. Yeah. All right, this is a, um, let's say, a, a, a same-sex romantic holiday comedy, right? I mean, that's really yeah. kind of what that boils down to. Like, like uh, it, for a genre that's typically dominated by, you know, uh, heterosexual hetero- couples. Right. This is a this is a, a, a two women, um, and obviously involves a misunderstanding. Not a misunderstanding, as you can see, but like a <laughs> hiding of the uh, sexuality of the main character from her uh, family. Uh, Jocelyn, tell us about this movie and what you thought of it. Sure. Um, you know, I I know a lot of people were really excited to see uh, one of those like Christmas romantic com- comedies featuring a lesbian couple. I think this is like the first Christmas rom-com that features a lesbian couple. And, you know, everyone was super excited about that. Um, and it has a lot of people that you will recognize in it. And it's also written and directed by Clea Clea Duvall, is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah, who uh, was a 
uh, was she was she a on, childhood she was, actor kind she of. Was like she was like a the faculty. I I was I, I was just watching the faculty Were part you? the end of the faculty last night. I love I th- her. She's also in uh, Veep. If you've never seen her in Veep, she plays the uh, Selena Myers' daughter's girlfriend, and she's so good in that. And I loved her in that. I, I assume that the uh, the Josh Hartnett. Uh, <laughs> shout out in this movie was uh oh yeah that's true something specifically i hadn't put that her. together but i'm glad that you said that because that's definitely i think where they got that from um so it's her uh she's the writer and director and i know that in interviews she had said that she wanted to see a romantic comedy a christmas romantic comedy that more reflected like her story uh so that's great and i was really excited about it it also has dan levy who i'm obsessed with um especially after Shit's creek uh, it has Allison Brie. Um, it has Kristen Stewart. It just has all of the things that are, you know, like that were making me super excited to watch it. And um, I was watching it. And then I started realizing that Harper, uh, Kristen Stewart's girlfriend, is a horrible person. And <laughs> like really bad. Like not only does she make her go back in the closet, but then she subjects her to this family that are really mean to her. And they, as you saw in the clip, they call her like an orphan, like every chance they can get, which is like, it. it I guess it was supposed to be funny, but it was really like making me sad. And it was really, it came off as like bullying her. Um, and Kristen Stewart's character is just so timid and sweet. And she just kind of puts up with it because she loves Harper so much. Well, then we get introduced to Riley, uh, played by Aubrey Plaza. And um, she is Harper's ex-girlfriend. And she's a doctor. And she's, like, out and proud, unlike Harper, who is making um, Abby go in the closet with her for her family. And the movie starts going in this direction where um, Riley and this uh, and Abby kind of formed this friendship and and as the movie progresses Harper continues to just be horrible and then her and Allison Brie are horrible together and then the movie kind of culminates with this like public outing um spoiler is it well it's <laughs> yeah a, it's, it the, it's the climax of the movie <laughs> well it depends look, on which one I'm talking about Cody I, I think actually two public outings Outings. I think I think we're leaving out that her dad is running for mayor. Right. So that's this, why they have to have this perfect family. Which I think a big laugh. I think a big detail is also that when you meet Riley, uh, you learn that Harper actually that they were yes, they were in a relationship like in high school. And then when they found out that they were together, Harper denied that she was in a relationship with her and then told everyone you are that really spoiling everything okay okay, okay i'm sorry i <laughs> yeah, know uh, to watch a movie now yeah look so, so there there's there's some uh the, it ended in a very bad way thank you. in a very heartless way thank you jared yes. for be, for summarizing that more uh less Not like less and then this is what happened exactly <laughs> well because i i have a huge problem with that and and it made me dislike Harper's character more than I already did. So to, I guess, kind of wrap this all up, there is really, 
you're not rooting for this couple at all, the Harper and Abby couple. Yeah. And then it ends and you're supposed to be rooting for them, which is surprising considering the way that the movie was headed and where I thought it was going to go. And I know I'm not the only one. And there are people who are like really livid online and people who are saying they're going to start writing their own fan fiction to kind of give Abby the um, ending that she deserves (laughs) and not the one that this movie gives her. Um, But I will say that there are some really uh, touching moments in this movie still. Um, I know Cody's probably going to mention one that I really enjoyed that had Dan Levy because he wasn't really used as much as uh, I thought he was going to be until sort of the end. And he really does kind of not save the movie, but he does really kind of redeem a lot of it for me. Um, so that's all I'll say because I have a, I, I have a lot of feelings about this. Movie. Can't stop spoiling it. Cody, I know, what, about sorry. what about you? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I think you, the, to, to Jocelyn's point, the, uh, the whole thing about Aubrey Plaza's character, um, look, if I can use some, some terms, uh, Jared, uh, <laughs> What's I realized be? that a lot of people. I, I'm kind of afraid of what this might be. I said terms, not slang. Um, okay. uh, if a lot of people are standing Aubrey Plaza, oh Jesus! But just because you stand Aubrey Plaza doesn't mean that you can ship her and Mackenzie oh, Davis. God, I'm gonna mute okay. your ass. God damn it. Right? No, no, no. Kristen Stewart, not not. It's not oh, Mackenzie yeah. Davis. Excuse me. You ship it up. Aubrey Plaza and and Kristen <laughs> in case do. So, uh, so look. The, the thing that I actually like about that piece is that they are like a it's a, it is a platonic friendship, and so I th- and and I think that you know like the chemistry and and stuff is there. But I like that. So okay, so let me back up a little bit because I think the biggest problem with the movie and ultimately I think because I think it's almost there. I think it's almost good, and I think the thing that keeps it is that the 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 the, the premise. And the story beats are so sitcommy, like, mm-hmm. like it's it's so generic. Like this feels like a Chuck Lorre project. Like it just <laughs> like like with how generic the premises, the setups, the situations they find themselves in. Like Kristen Stewart's stuff, where she's getting like she gets in trouble at a mall, is like straight out of a sitcom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like like the the orphan joke stuff that happens like straight out of a sitcom. You know, and it's and it's and it's just it's I I was just so annoyed with how generic it was. And I think had they put Aubrey Plaza's character in there as a wedge or as a romantic uh, uh, like a, a love triangle or something like that, I think it would have played into that hand even more. So I actually really like that Aubrey Plaza's character is not there to fuck up the relationship that's going on. She's there to be there for Kristen Stewart's character. And that's why I think the chemistry is great. I think that anyone wanting them to get together is wish fulfillment, and I don't think it's fair to be mad at a movie for not fulfilling a wish that you have, you know, for for shipping them, as I said. Uh, so, <laughs> so um, <laughs> you know, besides that, I, I, I mean, I do agree uh, to to the to a point with what Jocelyn was saying about Mackenzie Davis's character of Harper, um, just kind of really you know, kind of showing herself to be not a great person who did some really, you know, questionable things. However, given the circumstances and given the complications of the situation, I think they built it up pretty decently to show why Harper would be so protective of not being outed and not being out. Um, So I didn't have too much of a problem with it. However, I think that she did some really cold things. That's Uh, fine, but Kristen Stewart doesn't have to put up with it. It was just abusive at that point. 
Yeah, no, I I understand that, but you I know? also, but I'm also, I'm also saying Stand that up for yourself. Sure, yeah, but I'm just saying, you know, in a vacuum, I don't think, I, you know, Harper's actions make sense to me, um, even though they're shitty. So I mean, I, <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I at least get that piece. Um, you know, it it does something. I think the the worst offender in the movie is Allison. The way that Allison Bree's character is written, um, where uh, you know, her actions are completely terrible. She is the worst person in the movie. <laughs> and they try to give her a moment of redemption in the end where it's like, fuck you, you did not earn this. Like you, you, this, this is not an earned moment, which really kind of upset me more than anything else, honestly, that they, that they, they sort of try to make her into a victim of sorts when she is clearly the aggressor in a lot of these situations. You know, I, I think that it's got good performances all around. I think Kristen Stewart's great. I think she's really great almost all of the time. I really like her. Um, Aubrey Plaza is good. Uh, Dan Levy is the MVP of the movie by far. Uh, basically everything he says is funny in the movie. He's, he's got a great presence. And then he kind of delivers a monologue uh, in the final act of the movie that I, I think rescues it in terms of like, the point it's right he he sort of bails out harper in a way that's really needed so you know how i kind of I, I said that i understand harper's actions but it's you know i don't agree with them dan levy's monologue it's 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 kind of smart in the context of it because harper's actions are so terrible but dan levy kind of gives her a little bit of an out i think with it uh, and explains some things where you can kind of understand where Harper's coming from in, in a way. And I think that is a big moment in making this movie like not fly off the rails completely with having these crazy characters that are really unlikable. So I still think that it, it, it misses, but I think that it is, you know, as a Christmas movie, it's enjoyable. It's charming I, I, at times. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the humor doesn't work super well, but um, it's not terrible, but it, it kind of misses a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to uh, echo a lot of what you said, Cody, and I, I'm going to add um, in the like the two characters that are like very much in a different movie is Alison Brie, whose whose character is, is written awfully, and uh, Mary Steenburgen, whose character is cartoonish in a way that is not endearing. Um, especially when we know the, the, what's at stake here. And I think that's the, one of the biggest problems that the movie has is, so the, the notion is that, you know, Harper is keeping this a secret that she's, her sexuality is secret from her family because her father, because, because of this, her father is running for, for mayor and because of the disappointment it would bring them. And I don't think the movie holds the family accountable enough for that. And I think it bails them all out way too easily at the end. Um, because, look, you not to not to jostle it here, but you do kind of know what's going to happen. <laughs> and I don't think that the I don't think that the goofy tone that's accompanied a lot of the family stuff uh, really sets the the kind of uh, the you know, the climax and the epilogue up for what it thinks that it earned at that point. Really, like like Cody mentioned, the, the person who rescues the movie is Dan Levy, who 
like the way this movie started out, I messaged Cody and I was like, "All this fucking success Dan Levy has had, and now he's relegated to playing the 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 gay best friend." I was like, I was pissed. And then he ultimately has the you know one of the best parts in the movie, which is was great to see. But the idea that um, you know that this family was able to kind of shame their daughter. In, like, look, so they, they're apparently a very wealthy family for whatever reason. I assume they're in some sort of small town in New York, upstate New York. I don't know. I, they're in Pennsylvania. Is that where it is? I, so where, well, they're from Pittsburgh. The, I don't remember. The, the couple. But then, so I think it's like, okay. yeah, it's definitely Northeast, though. So, you know, they're they're affluent and they're, I guess the implication is that they're somewhat bigoted. I don't know. It doesn't really ever look. I'm, I think it's it's just more of like an expectation of like having a big family kind of thing. Sure, but you know, it. it I, I don't want to skip ahead here, but the next movie we're going to talk about handles this sort of situation in an entirely better way. Yeah. Um. But it it doesn't really seem to hold. Like I said, it doesn't hold the family accountable for the the fact that they've created this conflict like this emotional damage to their daughters it all just sort of wraps up nicely (laughs) and and you know i I think Kristen stewart's great i do think the character is treated terribly by the screenplay um in the punishment that she takes and you know if we saw more of that kind of attitude come from her i think it would have been better um you know because like the stuff with her and aubrey plaza is great um, you know, I agree with Cody. I, I think that it's it's refreshing that it didn't turn that into some sort of uh, love triangle or or um, or anything resembling that. Um, the idea that uh, you know that she was put up with this, you know, doesn't really ever seem to fray until like the that night where she like there's a point where she can't reach her on the phone, and mm-hmm. that's really kind. Of, it it just doesn't. It just doesn't track, and I think it's missing. It's just it's missing the mark in being too goofy at times. Like the the clip we show, like has a stupid ice skating race. Like yeah. it just doesn't. None of it adds up to the to the to the story. Some none of it. Starts. Well, even that, it doesn't like it. It you know it it has this big sort of thesis statement to make, which you know is is a is a valuable statement to make, but it doesn't ever really seem to earn what it thinks it accomplished in my opinion you know and and like you you know uh, dan levy completely bails out Mackenzie davis's character like yeah. that there's no redeeming qualities to her character except what he's expressed to and her it, it didn't have to be a love triangle it's just i don't think they set up that relationship as being something that we're rooting for so it didn't even have to have that character of riley for me to not be rooting for them you know, what you which mean? is what you want. Like there's, there's no, nothing redeeming about like, you don't see them. I mean, there's that, the, the sequence at the beginning where it shows their relationship through a cartoon, which is also a big pet peeve of mine, but <laughs> you don't really see any love between them to make you want them. To okay. Yeah. Together. Yeah. 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 You don't really have a, an, an idea of who these, who this couple is. I don't, exactly. I don't necessarily agree with that because in the movie, even though it is hidden in secret, every moment that that um, that Mackenzie Davis's character gets, she's going to Kristen Stewart. They're spending time together. They're sleeping in the same bedroom and stuff like that. 
and they're telling each other they love each other all the time. I I, I don't I think it's on the screen. I I can't agree with that piece. What do you mean the 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 relationship? Yeah, I mean yeah, it's clearly there, but like the the I think the the value that is put into the relationship by Kristen Stewart's character so much that she's going to propose, I don't think is present in what we're seeing. Like this would be like a, a ma- this is, like she agrees to to play along, right? But then what happens is would be maddening, and the script never lets her become really angry until way too late in the process, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, grades, Jocelyn. Yeah, um, we also didn't mention the sister Jane, who I thought was, uh, oh. you know. That's pretty, co- it was, yeah. co-writer Mary Holland. Yes. I thought she was also a, a bright spot in all of this ridiculousness. Um, she's kind of the out, outcast sister, and she really kind of brings a levity to it that I appreciated. A, uh, a Dan levity? <laughs> B yeah. minus. I'm doing a B minus. Wow. B- yeah. yeah uh, B minus. All after right, Cody. all of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm actually, after defending it, <laughs> I'm going to give it a worse grade. Uh, I, I think that, again... If the if the premise if the story beats were less sitcommy, um, it might have worked a little bit better. Um, you know, there's some there's genuinely I think moving moments. Again, the movie we're about to talk about does it way better, um, but uh, I, I I think it's a near miss. I have to give it a C plus. Yeah, I am gonna agree with Jocelyn, and I think it has just enough redeeming stuff yes. to give it a B minus. Um, <laughs> what are you you're just excited I'm over celebrating <laughs> I, I, look uh, for a movie that you've been complaining about for three days I know <laughs> no I have and, and, and it happened but it happens though in that like it it you know it, I wanted more from it because you can see the like it's like it's shrouded in fog you can see the better movie that this could be with some changes and I think you know I mean there's some you know Kristen Stewart's great. Dan Levy's great. Aubrey Plaza's great. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good Christmas movie. And especially if you, you know, are looking for something that finally represents, you know, a section of the population that has not been, been represented at all in romantic comedies at a large scale like this. I mean, I, I, you know, I think it, it definitely can use some improvement, but I think it's for what it is. I think it's, it's okay enough. So, Anyway, let's move on to our next movie, Uncle Frank. Are you going to be the person you decide to be? Or are you going to be the person everyone else tells you are? Because you get to choose. You do. I wish I wasn't named Betty. It's a lady name and I'm only 14. So change it. <laughs> can't just change my name. Do anything you want. What about Liz? Ugh. No. Liza. Betsy. <laughs> uh, maybe Beth? Yeah, I like Beth. And there are so many things Beth can accomplish besides being. Oh, uh, that cut off a little too early. I'm sorry. <laughs> this Besides is, uh, what? What, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Something happened in the edit there. Uh, this is a, uh, a film uh, from writer-director Alan Ball, who you may know uh, as the Oscar-winning screenwriter of American Beauty, also created Six Feet Under and True Blood. Uh, Cody, tell us about Uncle Frank and what you thought of it. Sure. So um, 
really it's 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 uh kind of adjacent to the the movie we just kind of talked about it's it's almost like a mixture of the first two movies yeah it actually is (laughs) that is funny uh so essentially the story is that um there's a there's a family um it's about a family dynamic where they live in um south carolina and uh and basically uh, and you see, you see in that clip, Sophia Lillis plays a fourteen-year-old girl in the opening scene, talking to her uncle, who's like the mysterious, cool guy uh, who lives in New York and is a professor at NYU. Um, and uh, and uh, she decides that she wants to kind of get out, and then she goes to NYU, meets up with her uncle, um, and and what you get established early on is that. Um, it's it's kind of like a, a bit of a bigoted family, especially uh, uh, the uh, patriarchal figure here, um, played by to, st- what? To be fair, it is. It, I mean, not to be fair, but to to put some context, it is 1973. Yeah, so. sure, sure. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is a it is a period piece. Yeah. Um, and and so so the, it's it, there's a patriarchal. Uh, the patriarch of the family is played by Stephen Root. Um, and then um, the always great Margot Martindale plays his finally, wife. Finally, finally, we just talking about her. Yeah, um, and uh, and basically, you get a sense that there's, you know, I mean, it, it's no spoiler that 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 um, you know her uncle Frank, played by Paul Bettany, is gay, and none of the family knows that. Um, and, uh, but you get the sense that again, they're bigoted and things like that. And so when she moves to New York, um, he, the grandfather dies and there's a funeral happening back in South Carolina. And so, you know, now 18 year old, uh, Sophia Lillis and Frank, uh, go down to South Carolina to attend the funeral accompanied by, uh, somewhat begrudgingly, um, the, uh, uh, Frank's boyfriend and partner Wally. Um, uh, who is spectacularly played by Peter McDissey, who um, we'll get to in a minute. But um, but yeah, so so it is it is this uh, similar to how you how we were talking about Happiest Season. It's a story about a guy who is uh, closeted to his family, and um, you know, kind of being forced to cope with um, you know the trauma that he has suffered as a result of being closeted. Um, and so you know, there's some coming of age stuff with Sophia Lillis, but it's really about Paul Bettany's character. And, um, you know, first and foremost, I think it's a big time acting showcase, particularly for Paul Bettany, who I think is really, really good. Um, I can't recall ever seeing him better except for maybe A Beautiful Mind. Um, but I think it's one of the best performances of his career. Um, and, uh, and, and I think he's really fantastic. Um, you know, a lot of the setup of it, I feel is, and I should also say too, it's, it's really a road trip movie more than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. because as they, as they go down and travel from New York to South Carolina, you know, they're making stops, you know, you're getting an idea of what the, what it was like to be gay in the 1970s. Um, uh, you know, talking about how, you know, they're not, they have to talk in hushed tones and stuff like that. And, um, and well, yeah, get, cause it, like in some places it's downright illegal. against the law. Yeah. 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 And, and so, um, and so what you get is, um, sort of. Uh, a movie about uh, you know Paul Bettany's character kind of reconciling with all of this and being forced to potentially have to come out to his family. Um, you know the theatrics or the dramatics of it. I think can sometimes you know the one thing that I think keeps it from being really good is is that is that I think it gets really overly dramatic at parts. Um, you know, there's some stuff that happens with violence that I I don't know 
really hits for me. There's also a side plot with alcoholism that I don't think ever really is fleshed out enough to really make an impact. Um, but but I you know it is it is an interesting story of of um, of sort of like again the closeted. Um, you know, being met with, with, and, and there's obviously a, a traumatic past there as well. Um, I, I think that, uh, like I said, acting showcase, Paul Bettany's great. The best character in the movie, in my opinion, is, is Wally, the, uh, the, the boyfriend, uh, played by, again, Peter McDissey, who, you know, sir, it, it's like, it's like a really energetic character, like a really, like, um, uh, in, like insightful, um, and funny, uh, character who is from Saudi Arabia. And you also get to see, you know, you know, the, the impact that he had to flee. He basically fleed Saudi Arabia because he was gay and because he was fearing persecution for that. So, um, you know, I, I think that it, it, it has, you know, that the same, it has a scene in the movie, um, in the third act that is like a, a massive gut punch that I think is executed really well. Um, even though it is like a super terrible thing that happens. Um, and I think that the fallout from that is, is uh, you know, is the best part of the movie, like in a vacuum. And, and then the subsequent, you know, um, reactions that happened as a result of it. So, you know, for me, I think that it's, it's, it's for the most part, pretty well done. I think it's respectfully done. I think that it's uh, got some good emotional beats to it. The performances are really great. I think it just, the, the dramatics become a little bit too much for me and it kind of almost teeters to being overly melodramatic, but I think ultimately, you know, finds its footing just fine. Jocelyn, what about you? Yeah. Um, I was under the impression that it was going to be just this, like, uh, which is kind of a genre now, like going home for a funeral. What are y'all laughing at? I think, I think Cody's coughing or Oh, dying. sorry. I thought you I'll were mute laughing. his mic for him. There yeah, you go. Thanks. Um, so you, <laughs> you know the the movie that's becoming sort of a it happens frequently it's the 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 person who's made it big or you know has gotten out of the small town having to come home for a funeral like we see that often in movies as a setup um but I think uh, what makes this one different, like Cody said, where are the performances and Paul Bettany specifically just wow. Like I could have watched him do this character all day, especially opposite this um, boyfriend of his Wally, um, which I think teeters into almost a caricature. He reminded me a lot of like Nathan Lane in the birdcage almost <laughs> like it's close. It was it was giving me hints of that. But he's just so likable that you don't care that it's almost a caricature. Like, and he, he does it so well, and it's just so genuine. And like Cody said, it brings like this enthusiasm, I think, to the movie that is really nice because a lot of it is some pretty deep things. Um, and all that to say, I, you know, I think it could have been just again, like a returning home for a funeral road trip kind of cliche movie. Um, but it, it, but it's really subtle and they do a lot with the characters. That's, um, that's nice to watch. And I think ultimately is, you know, a bit of a feel good movie. Yeah. You know, um, the, the, the melodrama is there. I mean, I expect it from Alan Ball. I don't know how much of you, how much you have watched uh, stuff like Six Feet Under. Um, I never watched True Blood, but my wife is a big fan of Six Feet Under, and I think we watched the first season together. Um, you know, it really rears its head uh, in the character who kind of comes and goes, the, the character played by, or the character who was uh, 
Beth's sort of boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a scene where he ends up like kind of aggressively hitting on uh, Frank, which is that was such Alan Ball trashy uh, <laughs> melodrama that I'm glad that was the only little bit of it because I think the rest of the movie is, is really good. Um, I like Sophia Lillis a lot in this too. I mean, Paul Bettany's great. Um, you know, Sophia Lillis is kind of our our you know kind of naive gateway into this, so to speak. You know, and then she's asking about. Uh, you know, she's asking him in the diner about being gay when he knew he was gay and he's having to shush her because, you know, he doesn't want anyone to hear because of the implications that it carries at the time that the movie is set. Um, I do feel like that character kind of disappears and gets, you know, shoved to the background a little more than I would have liked because I think the, the dynamic between the two of them is, is so kind of refreshing. It's like the two people, it's like the two people in the family that understand each other. Um, and the rest of them are, you know, they're, they're not necessarily bad people. Um, just they're, 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 you know, the society they grew up in and the way they grew up is, has set them in their ways. And really the only character that has like the, the kind of, you know, uh, evil moment is Steven Root. And even then it's tempered with like, you see him like weeping about it at the same time too. So there's obviously conflict there. Um, that said, I think, you know, this movie wraps up in a way that, uh, not to spoil it, it, it's, it's kind of the way I wished the happiest season would have wrapped up, you know, in a way that acknowledges what the, you know, what was terrible about Frank's life growing up and that no one really realized what he was dealing with and the, the things that went with it, you know, it, it might be a little convenient, for these, you know, South Carolina residents in 1973 to be reacting this way, but it is nice, you know, it's, it's different sort of way to, you know, to, to end the movie than I expected, especially with the drama that had preceded it. Um, you know, there, there's just something about it that, that, you know, endears itself, you know, the, the flashbacks that you see are terribly painful and tragic and the climax of the movie is terribly painful. Um, but, you know, the the idea that after that it came, you know, came some sort of, uh, you know, at least in part a resolution to the conflict as opposed to just the big shrug that Happiest Season was fine with. Um, you know, it's it's really refreshing to see. And I, I just think it's a it's a really well done movie. And I think it's, you know, outside of the, the tiny little bit of Alan Ball melodrama, uh, I think it's 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 one of the better movies we've seen in a while. Anyway, anything else to add? Kind of wrapped it all up there. Yeah. Uh, Cody, what's your grade? Yeah, I'm a little less enthusiastic on that. To me, it's it's one that I think uh, kind of works more than it doesn't. Um, the moments that really work are really good. Again, a great great performances all around, and 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 uh, when it succeeds, it really succeeds. I, there's just so many moments uh, that I wish were a little bit less melodramatic, and so I give it a B minus. Jocelyn. Yeah, I think um, I agree with Jared and I, I I think they did a good job of like the reactions being a little clunky because the people, you know, are, are from the South in the 1970s and they don't really know how to react to all of this. Um, but it's it's like a likable clunkiness that they have as a reaction to, you know, these kind of like uh, new ideas that they're having to live with. Um, so I think it's all just done really genuinely and warm heartedly. And I'm going to give it a B plus. 
Yeah, I'm going to give it a B plus too. I think it's um, you know it's it's touching enough that um, that it overcomes any kind of uh, melodrama that was attached to it. But uh, yeah, I, I think this is um, again, like I said, one of the better movies we've watched in a while, and I think one of the more accessible. Um, in that you know the performances are great and it's kind of easy to crack into. Um, and this is available on Amazon right now. I should have added that the happiest season was on Hulu and Hillbilly Elegy is on Netflix. So yeah. everything is everything is at your fingertips right now. Uh, let's move on to our next movie, Small Axe Lovers Rock. Now that trailer doesn't really tell you anything, <laughs> but I think it also kind of sums up the movie. Um, and I'm not being negative about it, but Jocelyn, tell us about Small Axe Lovers Rock and what you thought of it. Sure. This is the second episode in the um, Steve McQueen sort of series of movies that we, t- we started with last week with um, Mangrove. Mangrove. Thank you. Uh, and this one's... Um, more of an episode. It's less of a feature length film than Mangrove was. And um, it's, you know, we use slice of life a lot, uh, but really that's kind of what this is. Um, You know, it it takes place in the course of of one day uh, into the night and into the next day. So like 24 hours basically. And it just kind of shows you um, in almost like a long take um, this, these people that are, you know, throwing this party. Um, so it's, it's a continuation of the, uh, what was it? The Caribbean immigrants in, in London, um, and sort of how they create this like, uh, world or not a world, but I'm having a hard time saying that they create this like community. That's the word I'm thinking of in in this you know city that isn't their own far away from where they're from so so it begins with um you know them setting up for this party that they're going to have um and and then we see uh everyone kind of coming and you know attending this party and and it's really kind of like this like bubble that they're in where they get to listen to their their music they get to kind of interact with um, people that are similar to them in, you know, background and culture. And then there are these moments where the kind of like, like London, you know, sort of infringes on it. Um, and that's really fascinating. But really, we're just kind of like watching, you know, this this community and this particular night. Um, I'm doing a horrible job, I think, describing this <laughs> I, movie. I don't think that that's wrong, though. I think it's okay. just it's just a party. Like yeah. it's, it literally is just a party, and it's like, like you mentioned, it's it's um, you know, it's 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 a uh, reggae music that's right. playing. Yeah, the the uh, lovers rock is like a genre of subgenre of reggae, right? And you know the the people that are attending, like the 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 character of Martha, who we kind of follow throughout this. You know, she has the uh, a Caribbean accent mixed with a British accent. So yeah. you've got those two dialects merging. Yeah. Uh, and it's sort of all these people sort of bumping into each other, I think is Literally. the best way to explain it. Literally. Literally. Because of course they're Very getting... horny. 
<laughs> no. Well, I mean, it is. I mean, it's it's, a, it's, it's just a, like normal teenagers. Like no, it's it's her. that one scene is pretty horny. <laughs> oh, where the yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like long uh, bits of song in here. Right, like the 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 silly games they were singing. Yeah, uh-huh. um, like they sing that whole song like it's kung twice. Fighting, yeah. which was awesome. I loved the kung. Fu oh yeah, that was great. Part. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, like literally at moments you're you're watching almost a music video because they're showing the entirety of these songs um, played out, and uh, you know everyone just kind of dancing to it. Um, and that's not to criticize it, I don't think, because. Uh, you know, I enjoyed watching how this evening played out between these characters. Um, and I really loved the way it ended. And, uh, you know, even when the sun was rising and, and they were kind of like finding their way back home, it, it really has this almost like sense of nostalgia for me, I think, where it's like, you know, these young people <laughs> staying up all night and then waking up and having to like live to their normal lives again. Yeah, of course, having to go to church, which is like the stereotypical thing. Um but, you know, again, it was just kind of like this moment in time that 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 Steve McQueen kind of created. And um, I thought it was beautiful. Cody. Yeah. So it is sort of, you know, again, the film title is Lover's Rock. And that is the, you know, the style of music that it's it's sort of covering. And, and, and the, the main song that featured is one of like the most prominent songs to come out of that. Um, and, and Kung you know, Fu Fighting. Yes, Kung Fu. <laughs> uh, the famous reggae song. Um, so, you know, here's... So I, I think that it, it is sort of a love letter to music in that culture. And um, it is. it does feature, like, really long scenes of, you know, at times full-length songs with people, like, dancing, and you get the energy. And it is infectious, and it is enjoyable to watch. You know, the main scene there with Silly Games is uh, being talked about by a lot of people is one of the best scenes of the year. Um, I think it's good. Um, and I, and I love when it, it sort of like goes acapella for the entire song and, and people are dancing and stuff and it gets, people are getting real, it's very sensual. Uh, people are getting real horny. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Jocelyn. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and here's the thing that I have a, an issue with though, which is, when I read about the, mo- the this episode or this movie, I'm going to call it a film because it is a film, um, a lot of people were talking about how this was representative of house parties that happened in England at the time because black people were not allowed in clubs, in dance clubs. That's not, to my knowledge, in the movie. And that context would have really helped for me. It would have yeah. helped it. It would have really helped the movie to feel and maybe that's partially my fault for not knowing that i don't i don't know but it's 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 not it's not explicitly stated and i think that would have been the context that i think it needed you know you have the context in uh in mangrove and this one i think is missing the context so what it ends up being is it just ends up being like jocelyn said a slice of life where you're just kind of hanging out at this party for a little bit and you're getting to see the culture and the food you know there there are some some implications that there's, you know, violence going on at the same time as well. But I wish that it had that context in there so you could see kind of like the magic of what was happening instead of just like a cool house party. So I think that it lacks that context and it also feels a little bit repetitive because it is just kind of a bunch of people dancing to a bunch of songs. That being said, it's enjoyable to a lot. It's a, it's a quick watch. It's enjoyable. Um, The music is great. Um, I just think it's kind of minor. Yeah, I, I mean, the context there, I think, 
I think it's important to note that these these films and this series is made for a British audience. Um, this is a BBC production that Amazon is releasing in the United States. And that's probably why, you know, the, it doesn't necessarily feel the need to address the context because sure. it's, you know, culturally that's obviously something like Mangrove was sadly easily translated across the, the Atlantic Ocean, but that this is something, um, you know, this, this frankly just looks like a house party to Americans. Um, when in fact, if it, you know, if, you know, like what you bringing up that context, I had no idea either. And, uh, you know, had I been British, I assume I would have known that. Um, I hope I would have known that, but it's, uh, yeah, it is just sort of, um, you know, a, a good time watching people hang out to good music. You know, I mean, it's, that's really all that is at this point, you know? Um, and I don't think it aspires to be anything more than that. Like Jocelyn said, it is a little more episodic than, uh, Mangrove was, you know, Mangrove was like, that was like a full three act movie, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, this is just more of a, this is something that happened. Um, and you know, it kind of has a, it's a little more lighthearted, I guess in that way. Um, you know, not there's not some heavy stuff in it. There's a you know an attempted rape and um, a few other things, but uh, you know when it it you know when when you like you mentioned Jocelyn when it's like you party all night then you got to go to church the next morning like it's just sort of kind of it, it is like a music video almost at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's good. It's not. I I don't think it's um anything. Like there, there's some like the the silly games thing is a great scene. I don't know if it's the best scene I've seen, but um, I'm trying to think of what it is. Anyway, that's really all I have to say. Yeah, grades. Yeah, another oh, conversation for another time on best scene. <laughs> yeah, uh, grades. Uh, who went first, Jocelyn? Yeah, um, I think. I think it's still worth recommending um, a watch, especially since it is so short and, you know, it's, it is a nice little piece of uh, filmmaking that Steve McQueen made. And um, I like that it, it doesn't have to overly explain everything, but I do think, you know, to Cody's point that that would have made a little more sense. Um, I'm giving it a B minus. Cody. Yeah, I'm going to agree. I'm giving it a B minus as well. It's it's enjoyable enough and I think it's a it's a quick watch. Like I said, it's like 68 minutes, I think. 71 um, is what I saw, but yeah, oh, close okay. enough. Okay. Yeah. Um and um and you know if you're a fan of music especially, um I think that uh you get a lot of good payoff with good needle drops literally in the movie uh since they're playing on records. So, oh, um, yeah. boo. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, anyway, yeah, I I think uh, B minus is what I'm giving it to. It, again, I think we in the United States are lacking the context for what this actually meant. So, you know, it may not affect us as as much as something like Mangrove did. But uh yeah, B minus. But the music, I mean the music is great and there's a lot of it. So it's almost wall to wall music. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to our last movie, The Mystery of DB Cooper. Just as we were starting the roll down the runway, the flight attendant next to me handed me this note that said you're being hijacked. I've got a bomb. Come sit next to me. When he got on a plane in Portland, Oregon last night, he was just another passenger. But today, after hijacking a Northwest Airlines jet, master criminal. He demanded $200,000 and four parachutes. Then he disappeared. 
D.B. Cooper. Don't know his identity. Don't know where he came from. Don't know what happened to him. There was one key thing your husband said to you. I'm Dan Cooper. There are thousands of people who say, I know who Cooper is. I believe it's my dad. I know. I know my uncle was D.P. Cooper. I realize I sound exactly like those people. I think he's one of the slickest cats ever, you know, walk on the face of the earth right now. The man's beat the system, so to speak, a little bit. The man who held the secrets. What secrets? What did we miss? Cooper figured it out. And he got away with it. I want to be a Cooper. This is a documentary from HBO about uh, D.B. Cooper, who you may or may not know is kind of one of the uh, biggest criminal legends in the United States, Uh, hijacked a plane and parachuted out uh, with $200,000 and was never seen again, allegedly. Uh, Let's see, who started? Uh, Cody, tell us about uh, the mystery of D.B. Cooper and what you thought of it. Yeah, well, I've always sort of been fascinated by this. I've like a lot of people fascinated by the story of DB Cooper, and you know, it's the only unsolved hijacking in American history. And uh, you know, watching it, it's kind of crazy because it happened in 1971, which you know, like this seems like it would have happened much before that. And then, like, you get the context, which I found super interesting, is that. Like hijackings were a big problem back then. Oh, they they were. And, it was way more romantic too, because it yeah. was like like you. I mean, it's just it, someone who wants like to get away and wants you know yeah, take basic, me to Mexico. <laughs> well, a lot of them like the 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 movie mentions was a lot of people uh, were like Cuban nationals that wanted to go home. Yeah, and they couldn't because of the the embargo. I love it. It's like a want to get away commercial. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, you were just and, and like that was the thing. <laughs> and, and and honestly, really, until. Um, you know, until uh, like the '80s and into to 9/11, that's what hijackings were. Like that yeah. was it, they they weren't treated as um, like like acts of war. I mean, even even before 9/11, they weren't treated as acts of war. They were treated as like hostage negotiations. Yeah, well, and that was the crazy thing to me too is just learning that the guy's like, "I want two hundred thousand dollars," and they're like, "All right, here you go." And just two hundred thousand dollars for parachutes, yeah, four parachutes, and they gave it to him, and then he got a, like it's it was crazy, you know, especially living in like you know the post nine eleven world that this happened in the seventies was crazy, um, but really the idea of the movie or the documentary is that um, it, it shows and details and profiles four main suspects. Um, and who D.B. Cooper was. So, you know, um, there's, uh, which I don't know that it ever explains why D.B. Cooper, like, like was it like an alias or something? Did they say that? Or? Uh, what do you mean? Like, like the name? Like the name. Like Oh, where... um, yeah. I mean, I don't think, I, there's this, I can't remember the story, but I think the D.B. thing came from something else. Like, like do you he, think he wrote he, that on the note had, when he was? Well, no, he like identified himself as Dan Cooper, but then somehow they, uh, the DB got in there. I don't okay. know. Like the, I mean, the, I guess the idea would be that he wouldn't have identified himself with his real name, so right. it had to be some sort of alias. Yeah. So, so it it brings it brings together four potential suspects. I think, you know, the I think. Two of I think two of them are pretty intriguing. Um, in particular, one that has like a uh, like a someone's um, you see his wife 
Um, he passed away and his wife in Florida with like the raspy voice that you see in there. Um, that That's an intriguing one. I think the guy who had done a successful hijacking elsewhere is an intriguing one. And then you have a couple that I think are grasping at straws a little bit, um, which I think is the main issue of the movie. And I know that this is a unsolved mystery, but it's, it's, you know, an hour and a half of conjecture, right? It's an hour and a half <laughs> yeah. of, of like, you know, grasping at straws, trying to stick things, uh, trying to put things together and conjure up enough evidence to um, to make a compelling case. And I think that the idea that there are so many people who it could be and it's such an intriguing case is kind of the thesis of the movie. And I think on some level, I kind of wish that the director here would have like made a hypothesis or something or like you know that 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 you walked away with with you know thinking that one person might have been it more than the other um so really you kind of leave not knowing anything and I, again it's an unsolved case so i get that but um well the trailer the trailer kind of lays out the trailer we just watched lays out what the movie takes like an hour to get to Yes. Is that there are like hundreds of people that literally that that say that de- I'm definitely yeah yeah and I think it also does it has a nonlinear storytelling device where you know you learn about a suspect and then you learn about the DB that like the actual case and you have interviews with like flight attendants and pilots from that day um, and then you learn about another suspect and then find out more information and I don't think that that serves the movie very well. I, it, it actually, like you said, kind of prolongs a lot of interesting information. Um, and I think that if you would have set the stage and then introduced the suspects, it might have been a little bit more cleaner. That said, it's it's fast. I mean, it's legitimately fascinating. And I think it's legitimately fascinating to hear the compelling cases that a couple of these people have into, you know, whether or not it was that person. Like I said, a lot of conjecture. Uh, and um, and it's hard to overlook that piece. But, you know, I enjoyed learning more about it for sure. So um, reading the FBI's uh, website on D.B. Cooper, uh, the D.B. came from nowhere. Like it, it was someone said it once and the press picked it up. And, oh, okay. and so like he, he called himself always Dan blame Cooper. the press. Uh, yeah. But I mean, you know. This was pre-manifest, right? This was pre, you know, you just had to have a ticket and you were got to get on a plane. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was like a bus. Yeah. yeah, it was like, I mean, that's, and that's what the, the... Like he said, he bought a ticket for 20 bucks, didn't even go through security. Like there was no security. Yeah. Wild. It's crazy. Yeah, that, I mean, that really was like a bus. Like you just got on the bus. Anyway. An Airbus. <laughs> ah. Jocelyn, what about you? Yeah, um... I agree with a lot of what Cody said, specifically the part about it being an unsolved mystery, because it sort of reminded me of watching the new unsolved mysteries where I'm sitting there enjoying (laughs) it. And then halfway through, I remember that they're not going to tell me what happened. And I get really angry. I was like, I I thought this was mysteries. I hate that. This was solved. Wait, I was watching solved mysteries. I I freaking hate it. Like you like it's and, and it happens each time and I <laughs> get into the store and I'm like, oh, this is fascinating. I can't wait to wait a second. I'm not going to find out what happened and it sucks. So that's a little disappointing. I think um, it is kind of interesting if you uh, talk about it with friends to, you know, discuss like which which people you believe or which one you think is the more plausible um, because I actually disagree with Cody and I think the uh 
one of them was my second choice was the one about him possibly having a sex change. And they interviewed this like old couple. And I just really don't think that they have uh, any, any reason to lie. And I really t- like yeah, the but story that, that they were telling. Yeah. The story where, you know, when, when, when she moved her hair over, I knew it was him. Like, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> well, it's like, but that's not it. Like it's, it's the location lines up the mm. sort of backstory kind of lines up. They were in there third were, place. Yeah, I know. They're my second. I think the other, co- the other guy was just a copycat. But anyway, yeah. that's, that goes to my point where if you get a couple friends who have watched it, it's kind of fun to argue um and then to have no resolution so fun look i mean <laughs> this is um i've not like followed this closely but i've read and watched enough about it to know that it's that a lot of the stuff is wild conjecture um and you know <laughs> picking out picking out these four cases sure they're they're plausible um, but so is a lot of stuff. And I think this is the, the thing where you can like make it fit to anything that's remotely close. And, you know, Jocelyn, you ask these old people have no reason to lie, but sometimes people just lie. Like it doesn't, <laughs> but the really way they tell anything. their story and they bounce the story back and forth, like it would take a lot of rehearsal to be able to tell that story. I'm that not way, saying that they're, know? I'm not saying that they are lying, right. but the person, this woman, this it. woman that they're discussing right. might've been lying. Absolutely. You know, sure. there's just all kinds of stuff that, yes. you know, uh, basically the chances are he, uh, under the circumstances, he just died. Like he, he was an, inex- he, you know, he parachuted from 10,000 feet from a jet at into night. the woods at night. But then that guy would have found him. That's combing the woods every day. That's the worst part of the documentary. (laughs) The guy who's been combing the woods, uh, and he started 17 years after the disappearance. So, um, I I think the strangest part of like the thing that that really kind of tells you what you're you're dealing with in this movie, like really kind of painting the picture in one person, is the author who lives in a trailer and wears a cloak. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, odd. oh, this is where we're at now. This is where we're at in this story in that you're into these wild conjectures and wild conspiracy theories and whatever else um, is there. You know, the 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 easy answer is is usually what is it? Occam's razor. Mm-hmm. Um, the simplest answer. simplest explanation yeah. is always <laughs> is usually the correct one. Um, you know, he died. He he parachuted out and didn't know what he was doing and died in the woods, you know, uh, um, where's the money? Yeah. I mean, it, it rotted because it's money and it's made of paper. Uh, and it was exposed to the, the it's not made of paper. It's made of cotton. Oh, well, sure. It's, 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 Isn't it? um, Isn't it's, it? a, it's, it's, wow. Limit. You said that with the confidence of knowing for sure. Know, and then it. you <laughs> immediately bailed on it. <laughs> it's, um, I don't know when uh, it switched to more of a linen, but either way, it's something that's biodegradable, Jocelyn. It's not like it's not like the <laughs> 75% UK. Seventy-five percent cotton, twenty-five percent linen. Okay, well, it's not the <laughs> it's not the UK or Australia or Japan where the money is made of pl- literal plastic that's not going to biodegrade. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it's always fun to to latch onto these kind of wild conspiracy theories. And I didn't even know this is a conspiracy theory. This is more of just like an urban legend sort of situation. Not even because um, it happened. No, no, no. Well, I mean the but like the survival of it, like sure. the idea that that he survived and he's this master criminal, 
Um, you know, probably he just died in the woods, you know. Um, it's, I think it's, Jared's D.B. Cooper. He keeps saying that he died in the woods a oh. lot. He died in the woods, you guys. Jared, my, stop saying that. My, like, my dad. Thou protests too much. My dad left me a lot of money. Um, <laughs> no, and, and, and he was independently wealthy. And you, and you know, it's it's the the fascinating part is that because of the way the airline industry was at the time, and um, you know the the lack of security and the the idea that it was just a bus, uh, you know, there, there's no real evidence to go back on. So there's like there's only so far you can go in in certain steps to solving the mystery, and then after that, everything just becomes wild speculation. And I think that's part of the appeal of it. Um, you know, I don't think this movie did. I don't think this documentary. It's enjoyable enough to pass the time. Um, I don't think it offers anything new or anything really of substance that you couldn't have read about elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Cody, what's your grade? Yeah, good enough to pass the time if you have a fascination or an interest of D.B. Cooper or if you've heard about it but never heard details. Um, I think it's a good um, point of, you know, basic information um, and then getting to know, like, I think actually the context of understanding why it's unsolved and seeing like how many people have potentially compelling cases is actually kind of interesting in and of itself. Um, But still it's again, lots of conjecture um, and not a lot of answers. So I'm going to give it a B minus. It's fine. B minus Jocelyn. Yeah. I don't think I would recommend it. I just think it's, um, it's not as fascinating as I expected it to be. I think it was interesting hearing the interviews from the pilots and the stewardesses, but I, I, w- I wouldn't want to watch it again. So I'm going to give it a C plus. By the way, I loved that one pilot who f- was like Mr. Rogers. Who was I like, know he was so sweet. Golly gosh. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, I, I'm just going to quote um, one of my favorite poets um, about uh, who wrote about D.B. Cooper. I hope uh, this is what I think it is. <laughs> all, my homies it is. In, all my homies in the county in cell, in cell block, block six. six. With the grits. <laughs> yeah, please go. <laughs> <laughs> the, the grits, when there ain't enough eggs to cook, and to D.B. Cooper, Cooper and the money, and the money he, he took. took. Okay, that, don't You can look me, for answers, but that ain't fun. I'm uh, <laughs> So, so. Oh, you want me pit, to go? Get, get in the pit, pit and try to, and try love, to love, love someone. someone. It's a Get kid rock song. Try to love someone. Wow. <laughs> I'm so, you know man. what? It's Jared, it's funny that you brought that up because I almost <laughs> stated when this started that my first introduction to D.B. Cooper is the kid is, is Bob Bob. Bob. <laughs> It's embarrassing. I had to look it up and you fucking knew it. That's, uh, <laughs> I did. That is some garbage, garbage <laughs> knowledge you have, Cody. <laughs> um, well, I was a kid in the early 2000s. Come on. Yeah, you thought you could be Joe C, right? Oh, I saw I so Kid jealous. Rock live. Wow. Yeah, Ooh, I know. When? I'm like standing here judging, and then I'm like, wait, I saw him live. When? Like when it was cool to see him live, or with like at, where you had a where you where <laughs> you had early. a Trump rally? <laughs> no, he was just opening for Limbus. Limp- oh wow, Limbisky, that is a yeah. hot Sunken ticket right there. Theater. Oh shit! Something I was I think 14 years old. Sounds about right. Yep. Someone yeah. grabbed my butt. Ooh. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> Ooh, I know. My sister turned around and she was like, she's 14. I'm sure at a Kid Rock concert, they were probably like, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we know. Exactly. We know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's where, old. They're, they're like, like, where's she's her? Too- she's 14. Where's her kid? kid? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my grade, by the way, is a B minus for this. So 
Uh, oh, this sorry. is available on HBO. Is it? An, it's it's an HBO documentary, not HBO Max, right? That's, that's correct. Yeah. Which makes no sense anymore because it's all the, it's same, all the same shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for this week. Next week, Cody, you said we have a lot of shit. We Next do. Week. We do have a lot of shit. Um, so we have a movie that I watched a couple weeks ago um, as part of a digital film festival, uh, Sound of Metal, um, which uh, I really, really liked um, with Riz Ahmed. Um, and, oh, um, yes. Looking forward to talking about that one. We have uh, Mank the David Fincher black and white movie on Netflix. Um, we have uh, Black Bear, a movie I also saw at a festival, um, the same festival. Uh, How do you op- spell Mank? M-A-N-K. What does that mean? It's short for Mankowitz. It's, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. It's like Thank a, you. it's a, it's a Orson Welles adjacent. Thing, yeah, it's, right? it's a, basically see. a story about the guy who wrote, it's biopic of the guy who wrote Citizen Kane. Um, okay. Um, black Bear with Aubrey Plaza. Um, we have, uh, I'm your woman, a movie, an Amazon movie with Rachel Brosnahan. And we have the third of the small acts series, uh, red, white, and blue starring John Boyega. Oh, yeah. So, uh, anyway, if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. You can find us on Twitter at cinesnob, Facebook, cinesnob critic, no, cinesnob Cinesnob net. Yeah. Cinesnob.net. Um, you can listen to our other podcasts. We have a new episode of ReMCU out now where Cody and I talk Captain America the Winter Soldier. Yeah. It's been a long time, baby, but we get, we're get we back. We did three in a row just to make sure that we didn't do that again. We got three <laughs> episodes in the can, or two more episodes in the can. So um, Also, Corin Stream, where there's an episode sitting on Cody's <laughs> hard drive still. Y'all um, do so many podcasts. I don't know and, how you do it. Well, we haven't done... We, we take long breaks is how... Yeah. It usually, I mean, Cody does. Cody does so many because somebody else organizes it with the ramble. So yeah, I just show up. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Cody does have the ramble. Yeah, the ramble uh, Tuesdays. Uh, t- ramble Radio Tuesdays, Fridays. Regular Ramble Wednesdays. Goodwillow Hunting on Thursday. Which December will be all holiday movies I've never seen before. Yay! Ooh. So we have. Let me see if I can get this right. Gremlins is the first one. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I hesitate to call that a holiday movie, but totally. I totally agree. Well, we're doing adjacent stuff. Um, the uh, then we have Christmas Vacation. You've never seen Christmas Vacation? No, I've not. Okay. Uh, uh, the um, it's crazy. Uh, Batman Returns, and what the fuck is the fourth one? Is I it going to be? Is it Die Hard? No, yeah, it's not Die Hard. It's um. Uh oh um I can't remember. Sorry. I, look, I'm not a big fan of this um, labeling uh, movies as Christmas movies just because they take place at Christmas, especially when it's like Gremlins and Batman Returns, because it doesn't really have any bearing on the plot. I mean, well, Gremlins more so than Batman Returns. Um, have you seen the, A Christmas Story? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah. Christmas Vacation. I mean, that's a downright Christmas movie. I'm, I'm curious what this fourth one is. Oh, I could probably pull it up. Let's try I, to guess. I mean, if I it's not Die Hard. I watched Christmas Vacation very late also, like just a few years ago for the first time. Like I've seen bits and pieces of it, but never like sat down in its entirety. And I loved The Neighbors. That was what I took away from Juliet it. Lewis. Yes. I mean, Ju- Margo Juliet and Lewis. Todd. Sorry, Juliet, Juliet Lewis played Lee. Audrey. Um, Louis Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Yeah. Yeah, Juliet Margo Lewis. Yeah. Margo and Todd. <laughs> yeah. Our, uh, our uh, 
like uh, our family had uh, a bit. I mean, we were big fans of Vacation, the Vacation series in my family. That's one of the first comedies I can remember watching was the first National Lampoon's Vacation. And then subsequently, I've seen every single Vacation movie in a theater. Like my dad took us to see European Vacation when I was mm-hmm. like seven years old. Uh, we saw we all saw Christmas Vacation in the theater, and then uh, Vegas Vacation in the theater, which is not a great movie, but I enjoy it. Yeah. Christmas Vacation is funny because it 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 took so long to become like a holiday classic. Like it's strange the 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 path it took because it was like I don't remember like in the nineties or throughout the nineties it wasn't like you know the the thing you had to watch right and then it became that at some point have you figured it out yet cody uh almost i need you to keep uh vamping so um it became that and uh a christmas, christmas story, story that are like the two go to i was always our family was a christmas story family so one of the, one of my favorite things one of my favorite memories about a christmas story is um this is a, a relic of the uh 4x3 vhs era and I don't know if you know uh, what an open mat is. Mm-mm. I assume you do, but mm-hmm. oh, maybe not. So you know, like, um, so they they shoot the film on thirty five millimeter uh, open mat, and that would mean it's not anamorphic, that it's that it's a square, almost a square image, and they cut the middle out of it, right? Right. So a lot of these movies, when they were transferred to VHS, they would just to ease you know to avoid the pan and scan and cropping they would just use the open mat for the four by three and that's why there's like entire characters that are missing from movies no no that's why there's extra shit you're not supposed to see i see like for example in peewee's big adventure on the old vhs you you know the part where he's pulling the chain out of the bike Uh you could see it come up through the bottom oh (laughs) and then um in ruining it and then in a Christmas story, the the scene where he's like defending his house from the Black Bart gang or whatever, mm-hmm. you can see that they're those guys are like jumping onto a trampoline <laughs> just because it was too wide of a shot or too like up and down of a shot. Anyway, Cody, what is it? Scrooged. Oh, okay. Oh, great one. I man, that's the one I have really no memory of. I've never really watched it again, but I know a lot of people love that one, so that's a, I mean that's a bona fide Christmas movie. Anything with so. Bill Murray in it is you know pretty solid. A Christmas movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, this this way of like associating stuff just because it's set at Christmas, even though it's an action movie or whatever, I don't like. It bugs the hell out of me. Um, Stop being a Grinch. I totally yeah. agree. I well, it's like, like this- oh, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Like, shut the fuck up. It is I, not. I think that's a bad example. Ooh. What? What do you mean? I die think hard? Gremlins. Yes, you're right. No, yeah, Die di- Hard I, no, has no, no. more to do with Christmas than Gremlins does. No, Gizmo is literally a Christmas gift. Okay. So yes, it's a. Anyway. All right. Um, Jocelyn, what about you? Got anything happening? You're going back to work. You said. So. Yeah. Boo. So, I know. All right. How's that baby? Perfect. Still. Perfect. Still. Yeah. For now. For yeah. now. And he'll do something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting something. more sleep, so that's nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else before we go? No. No, I'm defiantly oh. done. Okay. <laughs> On that note, I am Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And I'm Jocelyn Durand. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.